So I, I've heard that <clears throat> a wise person uses less words. So this morning I'm still dealing with a bit of a cough issue. I'm not sure what it is. Um, I refuse to go to the doctor because they'll probably just tell me to take like hauls. And so, uh, and it's not down here, it's just right here. So I think I might be okay. So uh, I need a few words this morning. Shall we take a look at the gospel? Let me try that one more time. Shall we take a look at the gospel? So um, just a little bit of advice or a little bit of whatever, uh, take it for what you want. When there's a preacher up here and, and the preacher hears the congregation say amen, that's a good thing. Now, I know we're not necessarily uh, a church where we hear a lot of those, but feel free to say amen as often as you like. And uh, usually when we read the scriptures, that's also another good time to say amen. And uh, I know I use the scriptures a lot, but feel free to say amen as often as you like. I know that um, the African-American churches do that a lot more, um, but we all have a little bit of soul. So, you know, anytime you want to. Amen. See, there we go. (sighs) Apparently, this is a picture of redemption, I don't know if any of you have been following this case, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this. And very rarely will I use a story from from the newspapers or from the news to kind of shape and form my sermon. But this is a case of a 25-year-old mother who was on trial for, I don't know, how how long, honey? How many weeks or months? I I don't know, yeah, however many, too long. And and she was on trial for the murder of her, like, two-and-a-half or three-year-old daughter. And so this was going on and on and on. I only followed the last week and a half or so. Um, and, and so I kept going back and forth. Oh, she did it. No, she didn't do it. Oh, she, it's an accident. I didn't know. And I thought for sure when the verdict was handed down on Tuesday that she would at the very least be convicted of manslaughter. That's what I thought. And then the verdict came and it was not guilty. Not guilty not guilty, on three of the major counts. So on Wednesday, she gets to go free. Now, the sermon this morning has nothing to do with whether she did it or not. has nothing to do with the evidence. I don't know enough, okay? I don't know enough about any of this kind of stuff other than what I see on television. But what I want to focus on is, it's probably pretty safe to say that Monday night as she waited in her cell or wherever she was, there was probably a thought that tomorrow I may be convicted to life in prison. Now, I don't know, but I thought she was going to get convicted. And so I could only begin to imagine the thoughts and the feelings that she had Monday night before the verdict was read. And she didn't even know, actually, because they were deliberating, but still, right, any night after that. And the moment that she hears not guilty, what a relief that must have been for her. Now, understand, I'm not saying she should go free or not. It has nothing to do with the sermon this morning. All I'm focusing on is that she probably thought she was going to spend life in prison, and instead, she goes free. Not guilty. And so, you know, obviously I had the range of emotions on this, not really knowing how to feel or what or this or that. And I just didn't know. But what I always come back to, and if you read the pastor's page, I look at everything through the Christian lens. Now, she was not forgiven, and she is not forgiven by the jurors, okay? The jurors, the way our system works, their say is the final say, I think, Bob, right? 
I don't think she can go be tried again. I don't know what the deal is. But just because she's going not guilty doesn't mean that she is forgiven. It simply means that the evidence was not there. But when we think about the Christian life, and this is not the same thing as a Christian life. Understand, please understand, because I was having a conversation with someone on Facebook, and this person got upset with me and saying, don't compare it to the Christian life. I'm like, well, I'm not, but I'm still guilty. You and I, we still are guilty, and yet Jesus chooses to forgive us. I mean, she's like, this lady, I mean, I, public enemy number one right now for a lot of people if you watch any of the coverage. And in a sense, you and I are God's enemies, or at least we were. So I want to read the text to you. And it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is a powerful, powerful text. Because we may spend our lives looking at other people and seeing how they're bad, how they're ungodly, how they're mean, how they're rude. And guess what? Jesus dies for them too. You see, the truth about the Bible is that it challenges us and it cuts us deep because at its core, you and I are no better than the worst person. We may not be worthy of God's love, but God thinks we're valuable to love us. Does that make sense? So we may not earn salvation, but God deemed you valuable enough to lay down his life for you and for me. That is gospel. And so for a while, we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That means everyone, which means that we were once guilty, and now we no longer are guilty. Amen? That's how that story, I just had to bring that story up from the court case because it's just like, I was like so kind of upset and I realized, but you know what, like in, in one way, that's kind of our Christian experience as well. Because if you're honest with yourself and if I'm honest with myself and I were to write a list of all the things that I've done that are sinful this week, guess what? The, the jury would say guilty of sin. And yet Jesus, with his death on the cross, he buys our freedom. He forgives us because his love is that great for each one of us. And so we go on. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, somebody might actually dare to die. Let me give you an example of what this looks like in real life. I am madly and deeply in love with my wife. I think she is the most amazing woman I've ever met. However, I don't always want to do all of the things she wants me to do. Case in point, sweep the downstairs every once in a while. I love her. She's amazing. She's a great person. But we have a hard time doing nice things for good people sometimes, too. Does that make sense? Does that give you a little bit more of an understanding? Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were guilty. We were sinners. You were sinner. And Christ, his death on the cross, erases your sins. That's hard, hard for us to understand, right? Because there's stuff that I've done in my life to hurt people in my life, not like on purpose, but you know, you do things, you say things, you act a certain way, and I still remember those things. 
And I've been forgiven for those things, and yet I still remember them because I carry the weight of the guilt. And the gospel is, is that Jesus, he dies for you, and then he erases your sin. For if while we were what? Enemies. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. Now, this is, for those of you who have been coming to church for a long time, this is a text that you know well. Oh, yeah, that's one of those texts that tells us that we're saved. How many of you do you know somebody that, I mean, these days when we talk about enemies, we kind of talk about, like, other countries, right? Like, we're in war and there are enemies. But how about enemy on a regular basis? Is there somebody that perhaps you work with and you would be like, man, that's my enemy, because of the way they act? Has anyone ever done something to you that's hurtful and then you apologize to them even though you didn't do anything? It's quiet in here. Have you ever apologized to someone and you had nothing to apologize for? And in essence, while we were God's enemies, while we didn't deserve anything, Jesus still reconciles us. So the next time you're having an argument with your wife or husband, your mom, your dad, your friends, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, just remember that the God that we worship is a God of reconciliation. So before you bring up that thing from five years ago, just remember this is going to make it harder for us to reconcile. Because the God that we believe in is a God who will stop at nothing, absolutely nothing, to reconcile you back to him. So no matter how bad you've been or what you've done, no matter how mean you have been or how mean-spirited or all the bad things you have said and done, no matter what, God will stop at nothing to reconcile you to him. So if you have a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, a husband or a wife that has perhaps walked away from God a little bit, who perhaps you have seen and you say, I just wish that they knew Jesus. I just wish that they would come to church. I just wish that they would be saved. Remember this. God is not stopped. God has not stopped reconciling that brother, that sister, that husband, that wife, that son. God is still at work in this world, and God is at work with a family member that you think perhaps needs Jesus the most. Do you think Jesus knows that? God is still at work, and your job is to not stop praying. Your job is not to ram the Bible down their throat, but to love these people unconditionally, because if anything is going to convince them, is that fact that you are showing them that you, as a follower of Jesus, all you care about is them. And if you love these people well, I have no doubt that in some way, in some form, they will know that this is God in you especially if it's somebody that you have harmed or had a bad relationship with in the past. To forgive, to love, is the way of Jesus, even when it's difficult. Do you think it was a little bit difficult for Jesus to lay down his life? Do you think, and we're going to look at this in a few moments, I I know that we say that Jesus was fully God and fully human. I know that, so I'm not going to take on that today. 
But if Jesus knew that he was going to be resurrected, like if he was 100% certain without a doubt, I don't think it would have been that difficult for him. It's like, hey, you're going to break your leg right now, but in a day it's going to be healed instantly. So it may hurt, but you're going to be fine. I don't know. But in my own opinion, I think that for Jesus, that death had to be everything. That death had to be, this is going to be it for you. The fact that God resurrects Jesus is that God didn't see it fair that somebody who was without sin should die. But that's the best that I can kind of grasp with this. Because if it was God who dies just as God, then it's not really death. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus will stop at nothing to reconcile you to him. And I think what we can learn from this is that we must stop at nothing to reconcile with people in our lives who perhaps we have drifted apart from. It says, having been reconciled through his death, we will be saved by his life. But more than that, verse 11, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Reconciliation is the gospel. It's powerful. If you've ever been forgiven for doing something, you understand the power of the gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen. Yeah, Bob, thank you. Let me read that one more time. I want to, actually, I want you guys just to read it silently, okay? How many of you believe in Jesus? How many of you have entrusted your life to Jesus, even if it's partially? Yeah, how many of you have been baptized? Yeah. I was going to ask, how many of you don't believe in Jesus, but you know you should? No, don't answer that. This is gospel. There is now, look, look, y'all, people always ask you, what is your life verse? I don't really have one, but I think this is quickly becoming the one that I'm going to keep coming back to day in and day out. Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How much condemnation is there? None. Absolutely none. So for those of you who are trying to live your life as godly as possible so that you don't lose out your salvation, there's no condemnation. It's okay. God doesn't want us to sin. That's obvious. But God also understands that we are sinful people. And sin will be a part of your life until the day that you die or until the day that Jesus transforms you. Until then, you will be a sinner forever until eternity. And what Jesus is saying is you don't have to do anything to earn my love. You don't have to do anything to earn my grace. In our lives, we, we earn people's love all the time. Isn't that true? In our lives, what do husbands do when they mess up or when they do something bad? What do they do? What's the first thing that husbands do? They think it's going to fix everything. You go and buy flowers, chocolates, Take your wife out. All you have to do is say you were wrong. I mean, wives too, because wives aren't perfect, but, you know, happy wife, happy life. So I I guess. (laughs) But the truth, 
is that we try to do everything we can to earn people's loves. We write poems. We, <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. We do all kinds of things for people to show them that we love them. And Jesus is like, you don't have to do that. The gift I give you, I give freely. Now we can argue and we can look at Bible verses and all this stuff, but at the end of the day, Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate trump card for everything. It's what I've dedicated my life to teaching. It's what I've dedicated my life to trying to live out. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, who believe in Jesus, because the scripture says that God pours himself into each one of us for the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Jesus has set you what? Free from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The the biblical way of saying this is, Jesus kicked sin in the teeth and won. Jesus defeated death and sin. Jesus is the one who gives you life. This is a basic, basic Bible teaching, but this is important. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, which, mean, which basically means we are flesh, we are human people, we could not keep the law perfectly. So Jesus did what you could never do. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about this for a second. If you were to, if you were to make a list of all of the sinful things you did this past week, It would probably be, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't be that long for some of you, but for some of us, it would be kind of long. You know how hard it is to be perfect? You know how hard it is to go without sin for a day? There used to be a teaching in the first century that if there was at least one person who could go without sin for a day, then the Messiah would return. Nobody could do it. Because even in our thoughts, Jesus teaches us that we sin. That's rough. It's like, Jesus, you don't give us a chance. What's worse is you were born into a world of sin, right, to be sinful. That's not fair, is it? Sometimes people who who don't want to believe in Jesus will say, why would a God allow you to be created into a world where you would be sinful and and, and, um, destined to die? I said, you're right. That's not fair at all. It's not, right? We could say that. It's okay. We're at church. It's not fair. However, Jesus also didn't ask you if you think that he should die for your sins. He just did it and has given to each one of you the option, the chance, the choice to accept his free gift of grace or to reject it. He did what we could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. Remember I said, that if Jesus came down as God and he had all these secret weapons, but he never really showed them off, then it wouldn't really be as meaningful. Right here, Paul is saying that he sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh, so he was like us, to deal with sin, and he condemned sin, or he beat it, he defeated sin while he was human. Now, there are all sorts of theological homoonious, or ho- I don't even know all these words for Jesus was, was fully human and fully God. I don't care about that. What I care is that the scripture tells me is that in human form, Jesus did what you and I could never do. And as a result of that, has given us the assurance of salvation. 
So I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and be gentle with each other if you don't. How many of you are saved? Amen. For those of you who haven't raised your hand, I have a sense that you feel not good enough, that you've committed too many sins, you've done too many things. So have I. But I trust the Bible when it says that there is now no condemnation. We live our whole lives trying to be perfect and trying to be good. We live our whole lives trying to earn this salvation. And the whole time Jesus is like, man, you're on that, you're on that wide road that leads to destruction, brother. Because if you're trying to save yourself, it is never going to happen. And you're just going to hate your life. The narrow road that leads to life, it doesn't say eternal life, it doesn't say heaven, it's the narrow road that leads to life is where you actually allow Jesus to do what he says he did, which is die for your sins. This is important for me. Today's teaching is from death to life. We could say it this way, from sin to Christ. Because God sees the Christ in you. That's why there is no condemnation. God sees the Jesus in you. The best part of who you are is Jesus. And that's what God sees. And I know that's hard for you, for a lot of us to, to really accept because I was like, well, no, you know, that makes it too easy. Well, okay, but that's just how God designed things to be. If it's too easy, you can't get mad at me or anybody else. Get mad at God. You're probably going to lose that argument. That's the way God wanted things. Enjoy it. God has given you this gift of life so that you can share your testimony, your story with other people and say, this is what God has done for me. Look at how amazing this is. I was once dead, but now I am alive. I was once lost, but now I am found. I once was a living a meaningless existence, and now God has given me purpose and new meaning. I got to share a story that I shared with with some of my young adults this morning. So our kids were on, on vacation for the last nine days, and um, I thought to myself, man, I am going to be 110% productive all day long, every day. I mean, I was excited. Kim had to work. No, she didn't work. Yeah, you had to work late this week. So I was like, boom, I'm going to, like, write a book. What I realized somewhere in the middle as I text her is I, I feel so completely and utterly meaningless without the kids. You see, sometimes, myself included, we focus on, on, on productivity, on doing good, on doing all of this stuff, when sometimes what God has called us to do and be in charge of and minister is the family that he has given us. Now, I have been blessed with three amazing kids. I have been blessed with an amazing wife. I also know that it's not always easy. But I realized this week a deep truth that I have been praying about is that my primary ministry is not to you here, I'm sorry to say, but to my children and to my wife. Because at the end of the day, whatever I say up here, if you agree with me, you're going to love it. If you disagree with me, you're going to be like, whatever, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. At the end of the day, God has given to you an area of influence to continue to preach and teach Jesus. Meaning, purpose. It's not about being right all the time or believing all of the right things. It's about are you connected to God?
Are you connected to Jesus? And I have a sense that if you are truly connected to God, some of these other discussions won't matter. So that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Jesus conquered it in the flesh so that what we had to do before, it's fulfilled. We no longer have to do it. So take this from the second part. Who now walk according to the flesh, not who, ne- who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. This is what this means. To live a life with your mind set on the flesh, it's not just to focus on the things that are all around you and the worldly things. No, no. The Bible writers, what they meant is if you focus on yourself only. And this is a teaching we've come back to. This, is a te- this right here is what leads so many people astray from Christ. When you focus on yourself, on the flesh, on what you want, on, on getting everything you want, on fulfilling these passions and these pleasures, if all you worry about is yourself, that's death. That's the wide road. Because you're never going to get enough. You're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to be fully happy. If you try to fill that hole in your heart with the temporary things around you, it's never going to happen. However, he says, if you set your mind on the Spirit, which means are you focused on God? If you do, that will lead to life. Now, that seems very cookie cutter, but I don't know how else to put it. If you focus on only getting what you want, that's death. If you focus... On God. Remember that song? Um, I know it in Spanish. Fija tus ojos en Cristo. Right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. There we go. I, all the songs I learned when I was young, are the, those are the only ones I know in English, but I don't know them very well in English. Um, but when you focus your eyes on Jesus, everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, relationships take work, which means you have to continually open yourself up to God. But if you focus your eyes on Jesus, he will take care of everything because he's brought you this far. And so as I close, I just want to remind you, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation. Jesus comes to save, not to condemn. Jesus comes to forgive, not to remind. Jesus created you, has given you a gift. He continues to rain down blessing upon blessing. Now, I'm not saying he's giving everybody money and all that stuff, but if you open your eyes, you will see that God's blessings are fresh every morning. And my challenge to you this morning now is that you would allow God to be who he said he is and take care of the sin problem so that now you can give witness to what he has done. Let's pray. God, we... um. We're always challenged by the scriptures that say that you paid the price. We're challenged because we feel in some way that we need to pay that price. I feel it every single day. But God, we know that it cheapens the death of Christ. 
And so now, Lord, we pray that as we are a resurrection community, as we are a community of believers who is modeling their lives after who you are, may you help us to fully grasp the immensity of what it means that you have saved us and you have given us life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.